We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arsenal reminded the hard way that there's no such thing as a friendly when you're playing a London rival. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, the Black Man Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Hello, everybody. Um, interesting times. May you live in interesting times is, yeah, that's the <laughs> that's the ancient Chinese proverb, and it's not always meant to be a good thing. It's sometimes uh, called a curse. We are living through inst- interesting times. Granite Shaka, staying forever. Hector Bellerin, staying forever. Stay tuned, find out. We do have a uh, new signing, Ben White, in tow, but... Uh, Thomas Party no longer in tow, at least not for a while, but not because of toe, because of ankle. I don't know where I'm going with that, uh, but keep up. <laughs> we'll find a way. Um, I do want to let you know that we will have all the guys here, uh, Clive and Paul in particular, will be here after the break. But because of the Thomas Party injury, we wanted to start by covering really the topic of the moment, uh, what we're going to do in midfield and how long we might be without the midfielder who really had been impressing so much this preseason. I think it's fair to say Chelsea were a bit dirty in their tactics and uh, pretty disgraceful. Ta- I think tackles that would not have been appropriate in the Premier League, let alone preseason, but there we are. So it is now my pleasure, but also my great displeasure to have to reintroduce to the podcast Dr. Raj Paul Brar. You can follow him on Twitter, and you absolutely should, at 3CB Performance, 3CB Performance. Um, just think, what is a defensive system that Elliot hates? And then put performance after it. And you've got his Twitter handle, and you also have some great videos where he breaks down not just injuries, but all kinds of interesting tactical stuff. Uh, Dr. Raj Paul Brar, it is a joy to welcome you back to the podcast, but not really. Yeah, pleasure as always to be here for the, for the <laughs> best best of reasons. Best of reasons. All right. So, I mean, look, you, you're the expert, um, and you've seen the video. You've isolated, I think, the mechanism of injury is what you would call it. Uh, or you can correct me because that's probably wrong. But that's right. Why don't you walk me through what you've seen on the video, on the images about uh, Thomas Party, and then maybe maybe we can get into a little bit of of some speculation after that. Yeah, sure. I mean, so when you see it, it's essentially is a tackle from behind, and that and that right ankle sort of gets hit. It's hard to tell if it got rolled up on or not. It's hard to tell like how hard it got hit, which would be a, a easier to. T- uh, determine the indicator, the severity level, but you can see how it rolls. And so that right away for me speaks to what's called a high ankle, a high ankle sprain with the way that it was kind of twisted inwards. And there might've been some what we call external or outward rotation. 
And so that's where I was really looking at when I saw the moment of injury, the mechanism of injury. Mm. However, there's still, even within that, there's still kind of multiple ways it can go in terms of severity. And that's obviously what we're waiting for with the imaging. Yeah. Now, now look, I was never an athlete. I played sports for fun badly. I had a really severe high ankle sprain that admittedly I didn't have professionals rehabbing me. I never recovered from it. Um, but you know, as someone who's watched a lot of different sports in my life, you know, we see in the NFL, for example, there's a, a very famous high profile wide receiver named Michael Thomas, who had a high ankle sprain last season. Season was wrecked, came back as quickly as he could, never really recovered. That's not uncommon. I think with Lacazette a couple preseasons ago, a similar injury. When he came back, we just never saw him get to the level we expected. And I think people sort of surprised at how sort of quote well he played last season. But, you know, maybe it was a season before where, where there were lingering effects. So I'm curious what you think the rehab schedule for something like this could be, depending on the severity, and then also what we should expect in terms of reaching that fabled full full fitness. And it really is heartbreaking to be saying that because a, a player who had an injury hit season last season and looked so good this preseason, I had us all mm-hmm. dreaming of where we could go with the top-level Thomas Party. How realistic is it? that we will see that at some point this season, when might that be? Yeah. So it really comes down to whether it's, it's a high ankle sprain or what's called an eversion sprain, which is just a sprain of the ligaments on the inside medial part of the ankle. Now, I don't know if you saw, there's a picture of Partey allegedly in Paddington after the game last night, he's not in any crutches. He's not on a boot, which might indicate that it's a lesser severity injury. For example, if you harken back to Harry Maguire, after he had a high ankle sprain last season with Manchester United, he was in a boot and limited weight bearing on crutches. And so it might, there, it might be an indication that it's just one of those lower level sprains. But anyways, um, with a high ankle sprain, typically you're looking at if it's a grade one, which is it would most likely be in this case, typically you're out for about four to six weeks there, there are some variants in there depending on the player, but then, you know, like you said, the key thing is returning to performance and that can take whether it's, you know, two, three more weeks after that. And, and that's really why I was gutted for, for Thomas. In this case, he was finally looking to be near that hundred percent fitness and hundred percent confidence that the club didn't see at all during his debut season because he had all those muscular injuries. And so this again hits his fitness because he's not going to be able to train on the pitch and you can't replicate that off the pitch. And so, yeah, I I mean, I typically, I would look at at least two more weeks after he gets back into training to be even within that 90% range. Mm. So, I mean, any way you slice it, if we want to see him at close to 90% performance, we should expect two months or months. I would. Yeah. Yeah. Or more. And I mean, then, then the question becomes, of course, you know, is it less severe than maybe we're, we're fearing and he comes back closer to that top level sooner. If it is, you know, and I'm only throwing this out there for range of outcomes, not because I'm saying this is the case, but if it is sort of, of course. worse than we fear, if it has, you know, I, I don't know, the, the extent to sort of ligament damage or your joint issues or whatever the case may be, is there, do you have a longer range prognosis in terms of where you'd say, 
this is what could happen where I'd be concerned into the three or four month range or for the season, or is that overdoing it? No. So let's, let's do, let's do probability wise. Let's do worst case first. That's, I don't think, a, yeah, I, don't, I, like, I prefer that. Yep. So let's do worst case first. Cause I don't think it's that bad because he would have been very, very likely would have been in a boot and told not to uh, walk around on it. Can I just so stop you for one second? Cause, cause the only thing I want to yeah. say, do, do we know that picture is authentic? I mean, look, I'm not trying to besmirch oh, anybody's yeah, yeah, reputation. Sure. <laughs> let's say that it is, if it okay, is or yeah. isn't, okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. assuming, assuming that it is, then you could say, so, so even prior to that, a good indicator is that he was able to play on after the injury and then was able to walk off that right, right away to me shows that, that there's likely no fracture and that it's not an unstable injury. Oh, good. Okay. And so, and then let's say the picture may or may not be true, but that would align with him potentially not being in that boot. But either way, let's say it is a worst case scenario. It isn't a grade two or grade three high ankle sprain. Typically that even depends on how unstable the ankle is. If the ankle joint is considered unstable, they will have surgery on it and he could, he could potentially be out for the season or not season, six, six plus months. But then you talk about him getting back into fitness. So he wouldn't be back to that hundred percent or near that hundred percent performance for the majority of the season. Mm. Now, well, on the other side of the yeah, go ahead. Okay. Yeah, can we can we not even breathe that into existence preferably? Yeah. Yes, agreed. And then on the other side of the range for me, the best case here would be a, a grade 1 eversion sprain. You're looking at 10 to 14 days. So an example of that was Kevin De Bruyne during the Euros where he actually had a somewhat similar mechanism of injury to Partey, but he if you look at the way they iced him after the ma- uh, during the match, excuse me, they only had ice on the inside of the ankle, which speaks to the fact that he likely only had some mild damage to the, those inside ligaments. And he didn't, I believe during Euros, he didn't miss a match after that. And he played through discomfort, but that still tells you it speaks to a lesser severity of injury compared to a, say, Maguire, who took about two months to get back to his near prior levels of performance. Let me ask you something, then, because the we saw a situation last season where we we brought Thomas Party back for the Spurs game. I know Clive has been really critical of that and feels that that's why we lost him again. I know you had a slightly different take on that, but even setting that aside, I do think it's always mm-hmm. worth asking what the risk-reward profile is of bringing him back when he seems ready versus giving him the extra time. Is this an injury where you really want to make sure he's 100% good because if he comes back and plays on it before he is, then he could just prolong the period it takes for him to get back to full fitness. What's the right time to reintroduce a player recovering from an injury like this? Yeah. I mean, it's hard to say if there's any specific right time you have to go off your indicators. How is that person testing during their, their return to play testing? So, you know, is there any soreness? Is there any discomfort? How long is it, is it lingering for? And so, you know, we have an example of that. It's a non-football example uh, but LeBron James or the Lakers came back a little too early after a high ankle sprain and then ended up missing almost 10 more days. Does he try to test it too early? And then he was never close to his himself after that moving forward. So that that's certainly a, a concern, but the key thing when it comes to return to sport, like I said, you have to go off your, off your indicators and it's never, it's never going to be a hundred percent correct call rate. It's always 
how much risk can you tolerate? I think considering it's earlier in the season, you can tolerate more risk, but then you also have Mikel Arteta fighting potentially if they have a poor start, you know, is he fighting for his job? And so that's the other side of the coin, right? You have those factors come into play. But so if you're in a situation where like there's a game right before an international break and it looks like maybe he's ready, you'd be someone in his ear saying, bring him back after the break, give him the extra couple weeks, right? Like if there's a chance to sneak in a little extra recovery time, it it will pay off in the season you're going to get from him is your sense. Yeah, absolutely. Especially early on in the season. I mean, you you don't want to be dealing with a lingering issue for the entire season. I, for me, I'd rather take the the short-term sacrifice for the medium and long-term game, the medium and long-term in this case being, you know, the three, four plus month outlook. Yeah. I I remember when I did mine, I was in a cast and it was awful and I didn't rehab it the right way. Obviously I'm not a professional athlete, didn't have people helping me with that, but just the extent to which I feel like my ankle was always vulnerable to, to twisting and spraining again after that. I just never recovered the stability in it. So you know, just personally, I think of it as a really bad injury because it's been bad for my life. But of course, like I said, not a professional athlete with a team of, of doctors helping. If you had been pitch side when this happened, would you have been in Arteta's ear saying, get him off right away? Don't let him try to test it. Was Is there, is it possible that, that testing it was the wrong call or may have been an issue? Because I was sort of surprised in a friendly that he wasn't just taken off at the first sign of discomfort. Yeah, and I was I was a little surprised by that, but I think when you go out and, and you try to check and, and you see what it's like, there might not have been that much tenderness. But typically, I would think in a friendly, you wouldn't go out and, and even and risk that. Although sometimes testing it like that, I've seen it go. I've it can give you all. It can also be an indicator of what's going on. So let's say you go out there and, you, and you're examining him and you're saying, okay, the ankle is stable you know, let's test it real quick to see how he responds. So that is, is a little bit more information. It's funny. Mikel Arteta after the match said it doesn't look good, but I was thinking about this in light of the fact he that he tried does. to play on it. And in light of the fact that he was pictured around London, not in a boot. I wonder if Arteta said that because he was basically super frustrated at the tactics of Chelsea. And he, he was basically trying to send a message like, like, I'm sure he was mad. You know, there was, there was a bad challenge by Zuma on Tierney. There was a bad challenge on Smith Rowe. There was a bad mm-hmm. challenge on Party that costs him, you know, at least a couple of weeks, if not m- more and beyond that. And and I don't think Arteta would have been in the mood to be like, actually, we're lucky. It's fine. Because he was probably super aggravated. So do you think it's possible that that diagnosis by Arteta may have been driven more by frustration at, at Chelsea's tactics than by an actual medical evaluation? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think he was frustrated. I also, I've also, you know, having following his reactions, he, he always tends to err on the side. It doesn't look good. Like when Martinelli's ankle sprained, it doesn't look good. Martinelli was back in a week. And so I think he goes more off the pain and discomfort aspect when he's assessing things or when he's told, but that, that varies so much player to player. It doesn't really tell us all that much. And then you combine that, like you said, with the frustration. And I, I, I don't, Mikel to me is never, the most reliable indicator of how bad or good an injury is. Yeah, I think that's encouraging, actually. And I know, unfortunately, we're out of time with you, and and I have other things I want to ask you about that are non-football. The the thing that's interesting is, obviously, you're such a a, a smart observer of the game, 
and we often disagree on, on on issues. And I love that. I love when people I regard as really being very sharp and very intelligent on on a topic disagree with me because it forces me to either sharpen up my ideas or change them. And I have a lot of things I want to discuss with you where we see it slightly differently. I just want to get one quick minute from you. I think you've been a little more open to the idea, not just of keeping Shaka, but of extending his contract. I could certainly see now why we may feel we have to keep Shaka because even if we buy another midfielder, depending on party's absence, we could need both Shaka and the new midfielder. What I couldn't get my head around is the idea of extending him. And I think, if I remember correctly on Twitter, you were a little more sympathetic to that notion. So do you want <clears throat> to sort of express why why you think that could be okay? Because I I really struggle with it. We'll certainly discuss it more on the, on the later section of the pod, but I'd love to get your take on it. Yeah, for me, there, there were two reasons. One, I, for me, I've always felt that considering, especially what we know about his leadership off the pitch, also, I think he, he does have consistency has shown some consistency on the pitch, especially his ability to pro- progress, is that the team in an ideal world does see him as being a longer term part of the club. And also his game is one that can sustain, you know, over time. And, and that's not only because of his playing style, but also his commitment to his body and to his mind. And the question becomes in this case, I think I think no I think your question about why extend is certainly is certainly a pertinent one and the question becomes you know are they extending him just to keep him to stay you know are they kind of doing it as a favor to him so I think that rationale which we don't know it, it is certainly a very very valid point mm. I, I'll say it like this I would have liked to have seen Shaka move on because I'd like to refresh. I think sometimes as as a fan of, of uh, any club, any sports team, it's fun to just try new things when the old things haven't mm-hmm. been working. Uh, so just from a freshness standpoint, I, I will definitely get into later on the pod why I think re-signing would be a mistake, but I want to be considerate of your time because I, I know you are uh, a lot more busy and important than I am. So we'll leave it there. Mm-hmm. As always, brilliant. And what we'll do is we'll bring you back on to talk not football uh, injuries, hopefully, but but football ideas, because certainly that's another strength of yours as well. And I hope everyone will follow you, Dr. Rajpal Brar, at 3CB Performance on Twitter. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me, as always, man. All right, we'll take a quick break, and when we're back, you'll hear Paul and Clive. Stay with us. back and now we go from expertise to nonsense but you know what nonsense is what you're here for come on by this point if you're here you're here for the nonsense and i love you for being here for the nonsense thank you so much i i could not be more proud and more thankful more appreciative of the group of people that listen to this podcast work on this podcast and, and all come together to discuss the arsenal through challenging times we manage to arrive at sometimes insane and sometimes sensible conclusions and here to do that with me now is paul you can find my twitter pod from my pants on the ball Woohoo! <laughs> and Clive, you can find him on Twitter at Clive P A F C. Hello, hello. Hello, Clive. Um, okay, so I'm feeling ebullient, but 
I really need to work on getting miserable because this should be a miserable discussion, right? I mean, we we lost a key player to injury. We don't have anybody coming in. We don't have anybody going out. And yet, I find myself feeling very upbeat. So hopefully that will help me um, deal with what is actually a, a fairly stressful time to be an Arsenal supporter as we are now just 12 days away from the start of the season. I joked on Twitter, Clive, that we should do a 12 days of Christmas where Arsenal buy or sell a player every day for the next 12 days. And were we to do that, I think we'd be ready for Brentford. Were we not to do that, we, we may not be. I think on the Patreon Instant Reaction Pod, we said there were 11 players in the team yesterday who we would probably ideally like to move on or have tried to move on. Uh, so it's not just the incomings, it's the outgoings. And to be fair, a lot of clubs dealing with that. Chelsea had some players in the shop window themselves. So the market does seem to be a little jammed up right now. The market needs some prune juice and some coffee and needs to get going. Clive, the first thing I want to do is just talk about the fallout from the party injury. We discussed the injury itself. Now let's discuss the fallout. You know, I, I was not particularly sympathetic to the idea of keeping Granite Shaka, and I am certainly not open to the idea of re-signing him, and we can get into that. But in light of party being injured, it may be the case that we need Shaka and another. Where do you feel like this injury leaves us? I realize that if it is a four- to six-week type injury, you can't just reshape all of your transfer business around a two-month period where you're without a player. But I'm curious what you think this does to the start of our season and potentially to our plans. Yeah, it's a problem because the guy can play football, and that is obvious. He is a very good player. And I came away from this game <laughs> thinking I've always liked him, but I liked him even more. He's having watching a storming him. preseason. I mean, he's just looked I great. Mean, yeah. yeah, he just looked very important to what we do. And... And this is what I, I had a lots of things going through my head on this game. Obviously, players are players and they're in various phases of form. But Party's play is so good on the ball, but so good getting the ball back. And I think Arsenal have a decision to make real quick about what sort of team they're going to be. Are they going to focus on being a possession team? Are they going to squeeze the space and be a, I'm going to get it back from you team? And if we are, we need to think about how we rebuild our central areas, how we rebuild it right back, and I'm afraid how we rebuild in the forward spaces as well. And I walked away thinking, if I'm the manager, where we are, given the COVID market, with a player like Party, we need to build around getting the ball back a lot more and having a much more of a shot suppression centre midfield and maybe change our mindset away from the old Seth Fabregas, Riziki, Kleb type midfield, which is all about how we retain the ball, Santi midfield, how we retain it, move it, get in and out, tight spaces. That's all, that's in our DNA. But I'm looking at this team, I'm looking at our forwards, I'm looking at how they switch on, and they switch on into broken play, and I'm thinking, we've got to give them broken play. The only way you get broken play is by stealing the football, either by interception or taking it from people. And... Party epitomised exactly how I like to see football played. That's, that's a personal thing. Not everyone's got to agree with me. And I would like maybe a little bit more of that in our team so we can be a, a more of the team I think we could be in the short to medium term. And maybe once this market loosens up and we can have more of the players that we want because we can sell people, I think we can fully develop into the possession team 2008 Arsenal, which everyone has in their mind <laughs> that we're going to turn into. So that's the thoughts I have. And I agree with you, party, top, 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 top. We got, if it's a long injury, 
we have to really think hard about how we're going to play. Maybe even think about system wise. Maybe do a th- back three, one plus one in front. Yeah. Or do something. You know, don't don't do that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I know. We. I know. We have to get creative now. I just. Yeah. The, it pains me because he he has looked so good in preseason, Clive. And I think you know you said he's the kind of player you like to see. Maybe it's it's just you. I don't think anybody could disagree that he is a Rolls-Royce football player when he's on his game. I think the criticism last season was exclusively that he maybe wasn't consistent. And with injuries and adaptation, whatever the case may be, I mean, maybe there was some suggestion that he wasn't always consistent at at Atleti. But when he's on it, he is a sensational player to watch. And I, I wonder now what it means for that position. But I will tell you, and maybe we get into this right now, Paul, and then we can come back to Shaka. Lakanga is the guy who has to step in, in my view. You know, you look at El Nenny, who's having a, a bit of a calamitous preseason, and again, just preseason. But we know what El Nenny gives you. And it's basically a net nothing. I, I understand there are people that like El Nenny more than I do, but I, I really do think one area where I disagree with a lot of people, a player who doesn't bring any high-value traits isn't a player that's helping you. The fact that he can hide... You know, I, I regard making the safe pass quickly to keep possession as a way of hiding, as a way of throwing off responsibility. And you see Lakanga, that pass he plays in, the, was it uh, to Pepe, striding out, steps on the ball, puts it between the fullback and the center back into the channel, Pepe running in behind for the pullback to Willick for the goal. Should have been 2-2, of course. It is, by the way, that's a goal. We have yep. pictures to prove it's a goal. So it was a 2-2 game. Uh, so when anybody says we lost to Chelsea in preseason, because that's a very important thing, obviously, we didn't. But... I just see Lakanga as a guy who has to come in and be the party analog. And even if he's a little young and physically needs to mature and isn't super defensive in his in his approach, I don't think party is super defensive either, especially if we're going to be more front-footed and intercepty. That's fine. If Elneny can stride out and, and pick the ball off or, or harry or press, that's great. But once he gets it, he can't do anything with it. You know, that's one thing to maybe use him against a Chelsea or a City when you need to be safe, but against a Brentford where you're going to have the burden to create something, I just think Lakanga looks ready to do that. And I realize that preseason can be a false read, but we know from his time at Anderlecht that that he's willing to take responsibility. So watching how Lakanga has played and seeing the traits we're going to be missing with Party, do you think Arteta has to make the big call to go with the younger player? No. I no? want him to. No, well, okay. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. That was uh, a layup, and you still wouldn't take it. <laughs> I mean, like basically, yes, right. Uh, that's who you want in there. Better. He uh, <laughs> looks like he's superb. The problem is, we know f all about him, apart from what we've seen in in preseason. And so, like, if you're the manager, you got a lot of things on your plate there to consider with the player. So it, it's more a question of of how upset will we be when he isn't starting? Because I don't think it's as straight as who's a much better player and who's more exciting and who can play into our style. Can you guess Um, how upset I'll be, just out of curiosity? Yeah, very, very. Okay, cool, cool. Um, (laughs) But, like, there's no two ways about it. Elneny, by choice or ability, sets a ceiling on what we can do in midfield and none of us are super excited to see the Elneny Chaka partnership because again, that's a ceiling, and the ceiling is basically does Chaka have a good game or not? Um, and like in this game, you see that we set up 
it's actually very interesting. I was talking to Clive about this before we started. The first 10 minutes of the game is really interesting because our thinking of it is dominated after the fact by this whole high line business. But it's really interesting how we play. It's maybe not totally novel, but we've the two center backs and Chambers forms a three right from the get-go and they play out from the goalkeeper and uh, Holding takes it and he's the central distributor. And the first thing that happens is El Nenny drops in to pick up and that works okay. He's got Party on the slant a little bit ahead who's there to pick it up. And the first 10 minutes, Party does Chelsea twice to put Aubameyang through uh, up on the wing in with two great chances. One that's a cross into uh, Smith Rowe, who doesn't quite get to it because of the defender. And the second one is it flashes past Lacazette's shin right in front of the goal and through the six-yard box. And it's all very nice. Um, and what you see is party, like the two players who give Chelsea conniptions in the first period are Party and Smith Rowe. And they're the guys who can kind of turn them inside out and break cover, uh, break between the lines and do something. And and they're making Pepe or sorry, they're making Aubameyang look sharp, look dangerous, look in, look like he he's going to have a day. And then, of course, we lose party. And from there, we become very stolid, solid, but stolid. Uh, <laughs> and it's just it just feels like more of the same. Um, so, like, just in terms of style and footballing-wise, if Lakanga uh, can provide the level he's provided in preseason into the season and the, the manager seeing that, then, yeah, it has to be Lakanga who starts. But I don't suspect he's going to drop him in against Brentford. I think he'll go with, with what we know because that's how teams work. Um and it's very rare you just drop the exist, you know, players tend to need to earn it, take a little time, etc. cetera. Uh, but I guess if you were going to go for it, if you were really worried as the manager, you'd drop in Lakanga alongside Chaka and have them go. But they remember, they haven't played together either. I mean, well, they, they will. I mean, they'll train together now and they'll play together against Spurs. I think what I would say, Paul, is that like, the question is, what are you trying to achieve? Because if you can get through Brentford with an El Nenny Shaka midfield, and I'm not even convinced that that level will get you past Brentford, but let's say it can, where does that take you? Like, if we're going to be without party for a little bit, Brentford's a great first game to go find out what Lakanga can bring us because where we can go with Lakanga and Shaka is potentially somewhere where we can go with El Nenny and Shaka is nowhere. We can't go anywhere with that. We know that. And so it's a safe choice, but it's a choice that doesn't have any positive expected value in the sense of maybe it sort of gets you through. But the other thing is party may be in and out all season. You just never know. There's big expected value to finding out what Lakanga can give you right away because the Shaka El Nenny midfield, in my view, isn't really taking you anywhere. And again, I understand why... It's about adaptation, right? We saw Ganduzi come in in preseason mm. and from the get-go light it up. And that's a call... Like, Lakanga looks like he's adapting, but he's he's played bugger all for us. And and that's kind of the manager's call, I feel. we um, Like, if, if it were down to you and I, based on what we've seen so far, yeah. 
But Let's you see what I'm it. saying in terms of like the the val right like what what you can gain from playing El Nenny against Brentford versus what you might gain for your season if you put Lakanga out there. Like, what are the odds that Lakanga is going to be so bad against Brentford he costs you the game and El Nenny would have saved it? But what are the odds that by going with Lakanga early? you give your season a better chance to thrive. You see what I'm saying? Like, I just I feel like the odds that. are in I, favor. I also think you've a dressing room hierarchy, which we like to ignore. Mm. But when you're managing a team, uh, and I, I don't don't say that takes precedence, but it's a balance, right? Uh, you got to be pretty confident with your move with Lakanga if you're going to turn things on its head at this yeah. point. Anyway. I, th- I think that's true. Like if you're thinking of playing, you know, signing Tammy Abraham and starting him over Aubameyang the first game. But I think when it comes to someone like El Nenny, with all due respect, I think there are players that are on the fringe of your first team. I mean, we loaned him when he was 27. We loaned him out. I think El Nenny knows he's fortunate to be at a club like Arsenal, earning an Arsenal wage. I would tend to think he is a glue guy, a, a, a good guy to have. In the- <laughs> think he has yeah. the manager's trust. You're in trouble. Fair enough. Well, Clive, I mean, because we've seen worse El Nenny. Oh, yeah. Well, again, I want to I want to make something clear. This isn't so much about me crapping on El Nenny as saying we we aren't going anywhere if El Nenny has to start 15, 20 games this season. I I really believe that. So, Clive, like, isn't there? And and let's be honest, Lakanga wasn't cheaply acquired by the standards of this transfer window. It's actually a pretty big fee. He was captain of Anderlecht. He's looked really good in preseason, including against Chelsea. And he was brought in, as we all thought, to sort of be the heir apparent, not to Shaka, but to Party. Now Party is out. This is a chance to to engage that emergency protocol, right? I mean, yeah. don't don't you think that that's where the the upside for our season would be? And again, Party could come back in four weeks and make this more moot, but it's worth finding out. Yeah, we we got a few things to look at, and you use the word engage there, and that's actually the key word because Shaka. El Nenny and Lukonga are for me they're they're more sixes. They want to sit, wait, separate, be at the end, release valve, play it to me, and I'll move it on. Right? So you can say that El Nenny's passing is negative. Shaka's passing is positive, but positive primarily into the final third into wide areas. And Lakonga's passing is far more direct and varied in the in the small sample that we've seen so far. So what we haven't got for me is an engaging eight. The only engaging eight we have is Thomas Pai, and so that's the problem. So we're now left with the safe guys, the release valve guys. Now we know Shaka and Lenny can play together, but we know what that looks like. So we can have a look at Lakonga and see if he can do a little bit more. But actually, I'm walking away and I'm thinking about Joe Willock. I'm thinking, and I looked at him, and I purposely didn't rewatch this game. I was speaking to Paul previously. I said I didn't rewatch this game because I wanted to come away with feelings and how I felt when I saw certain people. And when I saw Joe Willock come on that pitch, I thought, okay, you're now a first team player. You really look like it. Your your body shape, your ability to move, engage, travel, arrive. It's different. It's different to Joe Willock I saw a year and a half ago in my eyes. It's different. He looks stronger, bigger. He looks a real presence, a real quick presence. And he's, for me, I know he's not a double pivot the way we, we expect it to be, but he's the closest to party in my eyes because we want that player to be a bit more engaging and go and get it. So 
I think we've got a problem. This is why I walked away thinking, I walked away from the ground thinking, okay, we've got an El Nenny problem. Because I was happy to keep El Nenny when I thought everyone was fit. The moment Party's injured, I'm thinking, we can't carry him no more. We need something a bit more all action. You know, also you know who I'd like if we had, if it's my way. But we need something more all action. And we need to go and get people and challenge people. We Just can't to be clear for listeners, it. it's Basuma, right? That's who you mean? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And I, <laughs> Just and I walk, to put that out there, yeah. I walk to, uh, Basuma plays as a six for Brighton, but I think he can he can, he's a, he can play eight easy. He can be the one at the top of the, the stack, they call it, or the slant reported earlier. He can be the one at the top of the stack. He can go get it and he can travel. And I think I'm even more convinced that's the player we should go for more convinced if we want to be that team's going to create transitions and so so we've got a problem we've got all these non-contact sixes left now the party's out it's going to be interesting to see how we manage that and I and I, and I see the best solution to being Joe Willock but you know what he could be gone by the time people listen to this recording and it's because we never can tell what's going to happen in the market but mm. we haven't we have too many sixes in my opinion too much safety and not enough engagement yeah, I, I think with Joe Willick, and, and we don't need to get into this in a big way now, I think there'll be more pertinent times to have a Joe Willick conversation. It's just, I can't make up my mind on whether we can tolerate the weaknesses in his game if he's playing in that double pivot. I, there is no question he has some elite skills that are special. I mean, he scores a beautiful goal, run, striding into the box, second man run, strikes it confidently, hits the target, should have been given a goal. I mean, the two, the thing we can say, by the way, and I, I tweeted this at the time, after a Euros where it was fun watching competent refereeing mostly, I'm just dreading going back to Premier League refereeing standards. Like, it was hard to watch the way this game was refereed and really, really unfortunate the way Chelsea approached this game. Tackles on Tierney from behind, on Smith Rowe, on Party that were just totally uncalled for. And if it was a Premier League game, we'd be wanting more cards shown, more discipline uh, in a preseason friendly, it's just totally un- unacceptable. But the, the you know, we, we've spent a decent amount of time talking about Elneny and Lakonga, but obviously one of the operative <laughs> players to, to discuss right now, Paul, is Granite Shaka. So I think mm. there are really three considerations. Do we sell Shaka for whatever we can get and move on and replace? Do we keep Shaka because we're not happy with the fee we can get and he's, you know, playing reasonably good football and an important player for us? Or do we keep Shaka and re-sign him? And what I would say is, I prefer option one. I'm ready to refresh and renew. I think it's okay as a fan to sometimes just say, I don't care about the logic. I'm bored. I want something new. Can we refresh this? This needs to change. And I think there's even logic behind it. But I'd be up for number one. It's not that number two, I'm not allergic to it, where he stays. I, I don't like it. I prefer we don't do it, but I can understand how we wind up there. It's number three for me that I can't see a defense for, the keeping and re-signing. So let's just address these really quickly in order of preference. For you, Paul, at this point now, it seems clear Shaq is staying. In terms of the one, two, and three as I laid them out, do you have sort of an order of, of operations in terms of your preference? And, um, yeah, mm-hmm. I that was just like a dramatic pr- pause. I thought maybe I caught you on mute, but it, you were actually thinking <laughs> no, no. <laughs> to provide a thoughtful answer, which I is a, uh, not encouraged, but, you know, you, you do you. I made a kind of whistle noise, which was me thinking. I don't know if it came through. <laughs> it came through. came through. Good. Um, my preference would be that we 
like he's not leaving now. Uh, there's nowhere to leave to. They've headed in their different directions. He is not going to join Jose Mourinho. Roma so reportedly can, looking at Thomas Delaney at Dortmund now. So, I mean, it really feels like this is not posturing anymore. This is done. Yeah. I mean, you could see yesterday, Chaka's back. Arteta said he's not leaving, he's staying. Um, like, it's just like the mood music. Well, the music has changed. Um, so he's staying. Should we have sold him for 12 million as is report now reported, uh, but had to go for somebody who cost 40 million to replace him, given that we have, there will be some kind of a budget. And given that we have additional priorities, maybe a striker, maybe attacking mid, uh, that comes into the figuring. And there's a point at which you say, this is fucking stupid. Um, but I understand maybe the difference between, say, 12 million and the 20 million we wanted. Do you change your whole strategy for the next few years based on 8 million, given you're going to drop uh, 100, 120 million on new players this season? Um, I don't know. You could debate that one. I think you keep him, but you don't renew his contract. Yeah. I think that's easier said than done. Um, because you want a guy, he's such a major figure in the squad that, um, like if he's not here on the right basis, if he doesn't have the manager's confidence, but, uh, in terms of hard nosed, uh, position in terms of the team, I think this is one like he's at a really interesting age. Other teams would re-sign him, but. They somehow manage to sell players if they need to later on. We know that if Arsenal re-sign this guy, we will have him for the length of his contract. It will run down. His wages will be even higher. So there's no way we're going to sell him. Uh, he'll be older. Um, and I think you say to Granite, listen, you wanted to go this year. We will work with you next year. Let's have a great year together. You're not getting a new contract. Or, I don't know, maybe there's things you can do like a bonus for or a thank you or something. You don't always have to give the guy years. You know, here's another three years. There's other ways to say thank you. I don't know what they are. Well, I mean, you, sure, you could do sure a one-year Ra extension. Raul could come up with something. Yeah, yeah you, you could do You it. could do a one-year extension with like a $5 million signing bonus or something. I mean, look, I'm not saying do that. No. I'm just saying there are ways you can you can – you can give the guy more money. I, well, f finish your thought, Paul, because I, I want to get Clive's take on this, and then I we think need to we freshen all kind of agree. things up for yeah. everybody's sake. To, he's such a dominant character, uh, and he's been really good for us the last year and all those caveats. He's such a dominant character that he kind of sets your course for the next three or so years. Um, you don't just leave him on the bench on a regular basis. So I don't... I, I don't think the options are easy here, but they never are. And I think the right option is you keep him for, for a year and you work with him and you find a way to say thank you for your uh, contribution going forward. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, at the elite level, sports requires ruthlessness. And the one thing I would say is, and I'll, I'll get into my thought on the contract a bit more after Clive gives us his opinion. The one thing I want to say is that I don't think we want to create a precedent of giving a 29-year-old who has two years left a bigger new contract just because he'll be unhappy otherwise, right? Like that, now we could talk about protecting value, which I think is an extraordinarily silly thing to discuss in context, and I'll explain why. But we don't want the precedent of when you're 29 and have two years left, if you're not happy with what you're making, we'll just give you a raise. 
don't don't create that situation. Clive, uh, where do you fall on what we should do with Shaq? I mean, I, I think all of us, and I think you're in this boat, we're ready to move on from him. Not because he's a bad player. Just because you were ready for something new. And I think the problem with Shaka, I think he had one of his better seasons for us the second half of last season. Because I think when Shaka's next to a party and you have a really good elite midfielder next to him and Shaka doesn't have to be the beating heart of the team in every way, there are things he does really well. When he has to take that responsibility and has a weaker player like an Elneny next to him, I think it's a different story. And the one thing I'll say about the Euros is I really don't like evaluating a player like Granite Shaka on the Euros because Granite Shaka is a player we know can be elite with time and space. International football tends to give you time and space, but the Premier League doesn't, and that's principally been a problem for him his whole career. So, Clive, where, where do you stand on, on the Shaka thing, and, and then maybe your take on the contract as well? Yeah, well, he doesn't, he's got two years to go, so he doesn't need another contract. So uh, there was just some chat saying I was going to keep him, give him a contract. So... I just don't think we need to do it. So um, Lacazette's not got a contract. He's got a year to go. Eddie's not got one. So he just stays as is. I will say um, he is a good player. And I think the word boredom is probably where most of us are. We're, we're sort of bored of him. But the best I've ever seen of him was when he's playing with Thomas Partey. And Thomas Partey's hopefully going to be around for a little while. And I, when we talked about midfield the other day, I, I, I found it very hard to pitch an Arsenal midfield without him. You know, he's been such a central cog. And I will say, when he came on yesterday, it's quite clear he's the man. He's the man. He's the man that points and shouts and everyone looks to. So whatever we... Scored a header from a set piece. My goodness. Scored a header and... <laughs> Where did that come from? The love coming down from the, from the terraces was love, right? And I know we have our frustrations with him, as we do with the club. But when it comes down to it, he's the man he's been around I don't think we've given him the right partners for a long time I'm not saying he's been faultless or anything like that but he is the man and you know the way we play that situation where we have a lefty on the left hand side of a of the midfield either dropping in the back line or pushing up very very quickly in good possession I've been thinking about this position for a while and I can't think of someone to do it in the same way I just can't and he does it really really well the problem is we expect those two to play all the time. So what we, when they didn't play, we then dropped to Danny Ceballos, which for me, I don't think that was the best position for him. It's quite interesting when he's playing for Spain recently, he was playing in a number 10 role, much like I think you said before about where he should play, slightly higher up. We asked him to do a job in the structural side of the team and we failed. Elneny offers a certain structure, but I don't think it's going to take us anywhere. So Lokonga lifts us slightly. Do we need something else, a bit more all action? And that's where I think we are heading. But Granit Xhaka, I haven't got a problem with him. When I walked away from the ground yesterday, I was looking at our forwards and our right back. That's where my eyes were looking. They weren't looking at Granit Xhaka, who had two training sessions, scored a goal, did his normal thing, played pretty well, um, and will play well for us this season. That's not an issue. The other things are potential issue, which I don't want to jump to conclusions on, but I can't, my eyes can't unsee what they saw. Well, let's just quickly put the issue of a new contract to bed. I think there's some times where we apply principles too broadly where they, where they aren't apt. So the one that I see going around a lot is the re-signing him preserves his value. 
And this is an application of a principle that tends to be true, but isn't always true. And what I mean is, if you've got a 24-year-old and he's into the second last year of his deal, you don't want him to get into his last year on his current contract where all the leverage slips to him, you give him a new deal. <clears throat> you increase his wages, probably. You extend the deal. You increase the value that you can get from selling him. Great. That doesn't always work. Here's a great example. Granite Jack is about to be 29, and he's on 100,000 pounds a week, and we can't sell him. We tried. We can't get a fee from a club that wants him that we regard as acceptable. So if we put him on bigger wages next summer when he's turning 30, is he going to secure a bigger fee at 30 on bigger wages? Nope. He's not. So this is not a case where you actually enhance the value. If anything, you may weaken the value. Because next summer, if he has a storming season and he's still only on 100 grand, someone might come along and offer us that 20 million if they really want him right away. But if he's on 130 and he's 30 years old with a contract on those wages until he's 33, that's a liability people may not be willing to take on. One of the things we have to recognize right now is there's a huge crisis in the transfer market, which is the only place Premier League clubs can sell Premier League players is in the Premier League because they're the only clubs that can pay the wages. You know who can pay 100,000 pounds a week? Premier League clubs. You know who can't? Everybody else. So unless your players are going to Madrid, Bayern, Juve, maybe, maybe not even Juve, maybe not even Barca, no one can pay these wages, and that is becoming the problem. So putting Granite Shaka at 29 years old on a lengthy contract where he makes more than the 100 grand he's already making doesn't enhance his value, doesn't protect his value, because if we can't sell him at 29, how are we going to sell him at 30 on a bigger deal? So it, it is a case where I would say, well, I'd like to move on from Shaka. If you want to keep him, just keep him. You have him till he's 31, just keep him till he's 31. That actually feels like... A perfect kind of time horizon. And I do think more and more players from the Premier League will run down their deals because it's going to be harder for clubs to sell them outside of the league. So, I mean, Clive, unless you disagree with that, I think nope, that kind I, of summarizes I, it. I agree 100%. And they should just keep him for another year and think about his replacement over the next 12 months, what they're going to do, what that player looks like, and what they need to add. And he can get this. I reckon he'll go for the same money in a year's time. Because there'll be more money in Europe, because people will be in the grounds, hopefully. There'll be more certain revenues. And that 15 million, which they offered us initially, or was it 12 million? They offered us 15 million euros, 12 million pounds. 15 million euros in a year's time, a year in his contract to go, might look a bit better. See you know what I mean? And we walk away with that, and then and we go again. So it makes sense to me. And maybe we use this money elsewhere, as I alluded to earlier on. So, yep, 100% with you, mate, 100%. Mm. So... In the rare situation, I think we all sort of agree. Look, emotionally, I just, I wish we were moving on from him. And it's not because he isn't good. I mean, we can debate, is he, is he holding us back? You know, there are a lot of people that would say we've never finished top four since he's been here. I mean, you know, we've never finished top four since Aubameyang's been here. Is it his fault? Right? I mean, ultimately, it is a game that requires more than one player. I do think his flaws have been a problem for us. I think he's looked better with the right partner next to him. The idea of starting a season with a Shaka Elneny central midfield just fills me with dread, though. And, Paul, it is a case where, I mean, when you look at the team yesterday, other than Ben White, it's the same starting 11 that finished eighth the last couple seasons. And I realize we finished the season last season not like an eighth-place team. Um, it is also a team that has lost Odegaard, that has lost Ceballos, some would say, for the better. So... There's work still to be done. One player who could be responsible for us making a big leap forward would potentially be Emil Smith-Rowe, and I want to come to that in a moment, but I think there is another 
pressing issue from this game tactically that we can break down. Most of us agree that reading too much into preseason games, even high-level rivalry preseason games, is a mistake. But I think you can look at them, Paul, and see tactical approaches or system approaches that you're working on. And, and I, I do think that those conclusions or those observations are valid. So in this case, I want to get you on record again. You were pretty sanguine about this in the instant reaction pod. I am going to try to tease out a more Whiskers-esque reaction here. That high line. Look, Timo Werner, you, we can make fun of him all you want in front of goal. He's going to embarrass a lot of defenses with his running in behind. He's incredibly pacey and incredibly clever with his runs. But the extent to which we kind of played a high line with low ball pressure and made Chelsea, gave Chelsea straight, relatively straightforward avenues to playing out into situations where they were 1v1 or 2v1 in our defensive half of the pitch. Like, that really worried me. And I I realize that Chelsea are, are an elite team in some ways, and we're not going to be playing Chelsea every week, although we will the second week of the season. Are you prepared to be more nervous about the high line that we tried in this game than you were yesterday? Yes. Um, so you and I debated it on the instant reaction pod, and you were very concerned about us playing this high line. And I was I started off with a very... Uh, I, you know, it's preseason. We're trying stuff. We didn't, there's two ways to play Chelsea when you're Arsenal at the moment, how we played them at the end of last season, where we sat in a low block, hit them on the counter occasionally, not very well. Um, and hung on and actually got a result, a win. We beat them twice last year. That was pretty good. Um, and the way we approached this game, which was my first take was, look, it's preseason. Arteta, there's not much value in him having the team set up defensively or conservatively. So we kind of went for it. And this was the way to play, to play our football, playing out from the back, pushing up as high as we could, uh, ma maintaining the pressure and living with the fact that we'd probably get done. And we did a couple of times. Um, but I then went to bed last night and I normally sleep like a log and it took me at least 10 minutes to drift off because I had your words around my head. Not so much because Victory! I was worried. Yes. <laughs> Not so much because I was worried that we played a high line. I'm just like, outside of, when you look at the players we have, how many of them suit a high line against a good team? And like, that's where you really see the failings or the limits of Chambers holding and to a degree, Pablo Marie, who I still think is fairly fast in a straight line, but he got totally done by Callum Hudson-Odoi on the dribble here. Um, and he does have those slower feet in, in kind of side-to-side -side defensive mo movements where he needs to move his feet quick in the box or whatever. Um, and so you got three players running backwards. Now we'll get uh, Gabriel Magliais, that's the way I pronounce it, and we'll get uh, Ben White back but none of them are actually fast enough to defend against uh, Chelsea streaming through there because if you don't keep the pressure on midfield, if, if they get the ball off, especially given how aggressive we play that high line with the centre-back. So you saw holding, uh, raiding forward if Ziyech dropped or if Kai Havertz dropped or whoever dropped into the box that he's he's patrolling in front of him. You saw Mari doing it, but it was holding with the eye-catching misses three, four times where we got totally done then with uh, 
uh, Chelsea having or regaining possession, pumping it behind and then just put having a foot race. And their front five, six are so fast compared to ours and so technically good that they control the ball. Now, not every team is going to be that good, but many teams will give trouble to Holding and Chambers if that's the our right-hand side with the high line. Um, so, yeah, I, I didn't see a, con- a fixer for that because Ben White, we discussed this yesterday, he wouldn't have fixed this problem. I mean, he will do and has done the same thing in terms of raiding forward. That's a style selection by the manager that Ben White's more than happy and comfortable with. Um, and we will get done over the back and, like... He's fast, but he's not. He's not. It's not Virgil Van Dyke coming back at pace and power. He's not going to win a sprint uh, with Timo Werner from the halfway line. No, and that's not. A, is, and that's really. not a criticism of him. Who's going to? <laughs> yeah. So part of it's like the Chelsea factor. Would we have done this uh, mid-season against Chelsea? I don't think so. But we're obviously planning to do this against somebody, and uh, you know we've got done, but like that against Leicester. Last season with the uh, the ball yep, over the top over right. Chaka's head by uh, under I think was sprinting in behind and cross to now we didn't do it very much but why are we doing it in preseason because I guess you bring in Ben White to play more progressively to push a higher line maybe not always this high and maybe the manager's like this is the way he wanted to play in preseason he didn't want to compromise he wanted a, he wanted the measure of his team and he would dial it back a bit. You know, Leeds play a very aggressive style of football, but they don't play with a super high line. They play with pressure across the pitch, uh, one-to-one marking, all that kind of stuff. There are different ways of keeping pressure and pushing up that doesn't always involve a super high line. Mm. So I don't know what it means. I don't know if this is the way we want to play or this is just the most dialed up version and why not? It's preseason. It's the Emirates. Let's go for it. Let's see yeah, what go we got and measure something. ourselves. Yeah, I mean, because because winning or losing isn't really the important thing. It's seeing where you are in that process. But Clive, it's also the fact that like there was a na- naivete to it in a sense because there were a lot of times where one of the center backs and both fullbacks were pushed up. <laughs> And I just think at some level, the spacing of the press was wrong because if you leave that amount of space in behind, the ball doesn't even need to be that good. It just needs to be over the top. So what did you see with our defensive structure? And is it, are you encouraged at all about what we're trying and you see the, the light at the end of the tunnel or, or are you prepared yep. to come over to my side and get worried? Well, why are you getting worried about preseason game? I'm, I'm just worried about a system that looks really exposable with 12 so days you, until the season. <laughs> so I, 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 I tell you what, I listen to stuff and oh, I get, I get, I get annoyed. Uh, what Arsenal? What, what are they trying to do? They were trying to front foot, be much more front footed in their engagement. That's what they were trying to do. Now, when someone drops in, he, the game is when do I disconnect, let him go? When do I stay connected and stay engaged? Ben White did it beautifully in the second half. The amount of times he stole it round the corner. When he went in, he stayed connected and nicked it. A leg round the side, nicked it, we're off and running, back to the races again. Rob Holding, I'm afraid, was two, three yards off his man. He has to make a decision. I'm not going to get there. He's going into the areas in the midfield. I have to disconnect, let him go, pass him on. 
but he just carried on trundling down the pitch, right? <laughs> so, Callan Chambers, what you do as a defender, when your centre-half trundles down the pitch like that, three yards off his man, but he still keeps going, what you should do is drop into his hole. But nah, I'll tell you what I'll do. My man's out here, how to do it. I'll just stand here in this half space because I don't fancy a sprint. I don't want to be embarrassed on the sprint going backwards. If I get into Rob Holding space, I'm going to be running against Timo Werner. And I don't want to do that. So I'll just stay here. Like, I'm not very fit at the moment. Go on, Rob. Foul him, foul him. Oh, shit, you've not fouled him. I've got to now run. Right? So that's what happened. And we left. We were, you know, this way it comes to communication. We should be, uh, Pablo Marie should be saying, nope, I've got somebody here. You can't go. You can't go that far. Disconnect. Let him go. Let him go into midfield. Let midfielders come back and nibble him from the front. That's what should happen. So we're off the pace. We're not fit. You know, we're not fit. We've been watching Holding and Chambers for five, six years now, and I'm still here watching them, right? And they're not sharp enough. They're definitely not sharp enough on that type of system. So what we're doing is absolutely right, but we just weren't as fit enough to stay connected. We weren't fit enough to stay connected to really rattle their ankles and rattle their cage. So we got caught in no man's land and got spun around. That's what happened. I also have done front-footed defending before. I don't call it a high line per se. I just think it's about how you want to engage. But you must be on the piston so you have people, one going forward, one going back. And we just didn't. We were just lazy and unfit. So the principle, I liked what we're doing because I want us to be more aggressive and front-footed. But we've got to do it as a unit. And we've got to do it when we're sharp. So, yes, I like what we're doing, but we're not ready yet. And these players couldn't do it on the day. But that could change in two weeks literally could change in two weeks once you get your legs once you understand what the triggers are when to go once you can read no you know where there's pressure on the ball i can be really aggressive once you can read there's no pressure on the ball i can be half aggressive pretend to go then drop off once you get all those movements in your mind which you do get from playing football we'll be much more secure than we were and by the way in the champions league final Chelsea suckered City onto them, mm. pinged it onto double runners in behind because they didn't get the pressure on him midfield, which they should have got if Fernandinho played. They were picked off round the corner in behind Havertz finish. This is not this is not you. We just were a bit dumb on the day with the players that we had, but I'm not bothered about that because it's easy to fix and easy to see what we were trying to do and easy to see where it went wrong. And so just move on. And I want to be clear about St. Clive. I love the idea of us pressing and playing higher up the pitch. We've been calling for it. It would be absolutely hypocritical based on one preseason game where we got done a bit for me to say, oh, don't do it. I love that we're doing it. I think maybe some of the spacing across the pitch could be worked on. And I also think the one thing you got to do if you're playing a high line, right, is you have to engage the minute you lose the ball. You've got to do that Guardiola five-second run-like-mad thing, right? Because yeah. otherwise you wind up doing the Andre Villas-Boas high line, low ball pressure. <laughs> that doesn't work. I, mean, I think where our line was fine, it's where we went from there. You know, our starting position was fine. It's our movements forward without without any security, without any pressure. We we went too far. We traveled too far and left ourselves too exposed. And then we're looking at, oh, look, we've got a high line. It's fine if we got in if we got numerical superiority there. That position is absolutely fine. It's just that we we just didn't engage correctly. 
we just made some bad decisions. It was decision-making rather than a high line for me that was the issue. If you have your security there, they don't run in behind you. They only run in behind you when they leave a big space to run into. And that's what we did. We didn't cover around well enough. We engaged too softly. We engaged at the wrong time. It was decision-making and the type of players that we had. And actually, if you just look at the second half, Ben White did it beautifully on the front foot. And that really encouraged me because I thought he was more of a back foot defender. I didn't know he was that front footed with the ball we've seen him carry, but front footed to go tight, but also drop off. He, he, We've got a player on our hands there, mate. I tell you now, we've got a player on our hands. He, he understands the game real quick. And so, yeah, that was encouraging. Yeah, well, look, I think the... The fact is, when you play a high line, you take some risks. When you get aggressive and you push up and you compress the space, you got to get it right. And that's okay. There are going to be risks. I think, you know, one of the things we can agree on is that sometimes you take risks. Like when you reach for that rusty razor in the shower and you decide you're going to go to town with that, you're taking a risk. I think the important thing is to get it right, you just want to mitigate risk by using your tools in the appropriate way. Maybe your fullbacks are spaced differently. Maybe there's more ball pressure. <laughs> but there shouldn't be more of that if you're shaving your privates. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, get the lawnmower 4.0. Do that. So it's funny. They send me um, you know, suggested ad copy uh, from week to week, and I I sometimes use it because it's wonderful, and sometimes I'm, I'm not really sure. I think i just kind of going to go my own direction. This week's theme is space. And I don't know why. So I'm not going to do the space theme in part because there is a, a bit of it that I'm supposed to do that leads to a Uranus joke. And I mean, I'm, I'm willing to lower myself in a lot of ways. I'm not ready to do the Uranus joke. Uh, I, you know, I get that it's a space thing, but like my five-year-old's doing those jokes and, and I'm at least like twice her age emotionally. So yeah, go ahead and get the lawnmower 4.0. If you're coming to Vegas, it's time. You can still have it in time. 20% off and free worldwide shipping when you go to manscaped.com and use promo code ARSENALVISION. The lawnmower 4.0 just used it again the other day. And the thing that's crazy is just like, it doesn't pull. It doesn't drag. It doesn't nick. It just glides over the space because it's got the ceramic blades and the skin-safe technology. And so whether you're using it with the guard to do eyebrows or sideburns or whether you're using it on your chest or using it as a beard trimmer or you're going all the way, uh, you know, below the belt. And, you know, this for men or women, by the way, it, you know, summer's still going on. You want to get that that area in shape. This is the tool that does it. It has a button lock for travel. It has all the guards. It has induction charging now. So you just set it in its cradle and boom, it charges you could take it on a week-long vacation, never have to charge it, no problem. It's wet, dry, so if you want to take it right into the shower and use it there, leave it in the shower and get that razor out of there. You know, get the, get the cheap one that's been doing damage to your body out of there. Let's be good to ourselves. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with talking about a thing that we're going to do anyway. You're going to do this anyway. Like, this is the thing. I was embarrassed about this when it first started, but what I realized is 90% of us do some kind of grooming, so we need a tool to do it. So... If you get a good tool, you'll just be happier. And they have one for nose and ears called the Weed Whacker that I have to admit I've aged into needing to use, so I use it. They've got some tonics and stuff. They send it in beautiful packaging. It just comes feeling really high-end. You're going to love it. Go to uh, manscaped.com, promo code ArsenalVision. You get 20% off and free worldwide shipping. 20% off and free worldwide shipping. Clive, uh, you proud of me for skipping the Uranus joke? Yeah, you are. <laughs> You're maturing nicely. Well done. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. And and I was even goaded into it, and I still didn't do it. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm quite quite proud of myself. Um, so okay, let's get back uh, onto track here a little bit. So 
Paul, the I, I referenced it earlier. I want to touch on it briefly. I think there are maybe more interesting uh, performances to discuss because actually Smith Rowe looking great is just not really much of a story at this moment. But he, to me, is having the kind of preseason that says he is ready to really take on even more responsibility for end product. I just love the way he has a sense of when to arrive in the box, when to give the ball quickly, when he can drive past a guy. His body seems more robust. He he really does look like a player that is is eager to take on more responsibility rather than some of the other players we have that maybe shirk that responsibility. I thought this game looked like it was suited to him. And I, I think it says something that the three players that got targeted for rough treatment by Chelsea were variously Tierney, Party, and Smith Rowe. Because those are the players that could hurt them. And, you know, he just continues to look excellent to me. Yeah. It's not, is not a question, but, you know, just talk yeah. about that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> look, just, I, just think, <laughs> I think it is a story that he's good because you and I were chatting a bit before this about, uh, you know, that there's something a bit exceptional about Sack and Smith Rowe, so young coming into the team. What's also exceptional is that they have back to back seasons when they're young where they step up. So we can't take it for granted that he'll be as good as last year um, or better just because like you don't get straight line improvement all the time with these guys. Now it's preseason, but he looks up for it. You know, he's just got the new number 10 shirt. So there's debate about will that uh, weigh heavy on his shoulders or will he step up and into it? And again, we can only judge based on what we've seen, but I mean, he's fully up for it. Um, he hits the post with his left foot, uh, which would be would have been an interesting way to get to one one on thirty minutes. Um, and that, like, I did want to throw in a little bit on the high line, which was its risk reward. And to some degree, it must be why Ben White is here because you don't get a Ben White to play with a deeper line. I mean, that's just not the profile of player you get. So in this game. We created, uh, you know, ignoring XG and shots, which I like to do when they don't suit me. We uh, created plenty of good uh, and interesting opportunities that had we buried them, um, this would have been a much more exciting uh, proposition from our side. And Thomas Party, they're playing a free kick out from their box and we push right up. We do quite a bit of pressing from the front in the first half. Um, Thomas Party intercepts, uh, Smithrow snaffles it up, um, sees his shot at goal. He's clear, like he's well outside the box. So he's clearly been told to shoot when he gets a look. He's got Lacazette off to his left. So Lacazette's thrown his arms out saying, why didn't you shoot to me, shoot to me a little bit or pass to me a little bit so I can shoot. And Smithrow's gone for it and pinged it and left footed like here he gets a look at goal on his left foot and decides to go for it. So I think we're going to get a more aggressive player who goes for it, who knows he has a target of goals in his mind for this season. And uh, the upside of the more aggressive higher line is we created interesting opportunities by putting that pressure on them in the in the first half and in the second half. And, uh, you know, again, Chelsea's such a strong team that uh, it, it's not necessarily a measure of what you we could have got out of this team, uh, out of this game with this system against another team. 
but I think it created plenty of opportunities. And Smith Row thrived um, in combination with Party. And, you know, those two got, were the guys breaking the lines and creating the opportunities. So I thought this was a really in, uh, encouraging performance. He's got the crowd there may, for the first time since he's had this number 10 jersey. Um, and he just looked like he had fun this day. He was, uh, I didn't, he didn't play the full game. He got substituted off after whatever it was, 70 minutes or something. Um, mm. But he, he had a really strong 70 minutes. Uh, I think he was pretty much our best player uh, besides party. who only got the whatever, 30 something minutes before he was taken off. Yeah, it, it is. <clears throat> it is something that I am really excited about. And I've said this so many times that at this point, I should probably just stop saying it, but that's never stopped me before is just that, the best argument for Arsenal being better this season may have nothing to do with the market and everything to do with the really good young players we have being better and potentially exponentially better. Uh, obviously, Saka would be a big part of that. He's just coming back, so we'll have to hope he's ready to hit the ground running. Clive, I don't, don't necessarily need you to talk about Smith-Rowe unless you have a burning desire to because I'd prefer to get your take on something more worrying. Go on then. We'll do okay. one Aubameyang. The Aubameyang-Lacazette thing is interesting. Ooh. We started this game Ob on the left. Lacazette through the middle. I don't know if I've ever mentioned how I feel about that, but I, I don't have any strong feelings one way or the other, obviously. Not my favorite, but the fact is, Lacazette has looked better this preseason than Aubameyang. I think it's fair to say that. And we had a couple instances in this game where Oba did kind of get in a space to break through and behind, isolate himself on defenders. You could say the positive is he was getting into those good spaces. The negative is I didn't see the burst to create that extra half step to have the finish he would want. And I, I just don't know. I, I want to fight confirmation bias because it is a terrible thing when you just say, ah, that proves what I've always thought. There is the possibility that we are seeing just the tiniest bit of that extra burst he needs go away so that he doesn't get the space he needs to finish. Or maybe he's just in preseason mode and he's not, you know, he's not locked in in front of goal yet. Do you have a sense of what we're seeing with Aubameyang? Because there's some good, the getting into spaces, and there's some not so good, which is not quite getting into the 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 goal-scoring shape, both in terms of the way he's finishing and, and physically the shape that, that we're looking for. Yeah, he should have scored the header. That's the that's the goal he should have scored. Um, and he, that, that can't, I don't care, that's not to do with running, that's just... Yeah, that's just him. a bad finish. Uh, yeah, that's a bad finish, and that will come with his timing. <laughs> I mean, was it against Rangers he had a tap and he missed two? Those I don't worry about. Yeah, that. You know, but he, he, he does that sometimes. He gets a bit sloppy, and he, I don't worry about him. When the, when the moment comes, he'll wake up. So... I, I love when I went to this game. I sort of, I purposely did, I didn't even drink actually. I wanted to make sure I recorded all my feelings about certain players, right? So in my own mind, Smith Rowe turned into a man right in front of our eyes. And your point about young player development is apt, spot on. Joe Willock is no longer a boy, he's a man. He really is. They want to play. They're going to have, if he stays, he's going to have an impact, right? So. I'm looking forward to seeing Saka play and see what he, how, you know, newfound confidence, for example. So, but when I go to the forwards, I have this worry. Uh, now, as a team, we actually look quite fast. We look quite fast in the recovery. We look quite fast in the transition. Our pace is pretty good, quicker than I than I remember, you know. And um, Abamyang looks fast. But what he's not doing, he's not doing enough of the repeat sprints at the moment. So he does a big sprint, he has a big recovery period where he just knocks it off. I think he ha he's still got his speed, but I'm worried about 
did desire. And that may just be a pre-season thing. Lacazette, he he looks fine. He's in the middle. He's working. He's getting fouled. He's kicking people. He's about. But I can't escape this feeling that I've seen this all before. Do you know what I mean? I know how this story is going to end. I I just I don't see. What did they score? About twenty odd goals between them last year, early twenties. I is we need to get thirty plus from them. Do you think it's going to happen? I don't feel it. I don't feel it. I just don't feel it. I, the feeling of our threat in forward spaces is a worrying thing. You know, we talk about high lines, talk about these sort of things. When it comes down to it, we score from a corner and a header. Do you know what I mean? So mm. it's early in the season, and I'm I'm just telling you what the feelings I walked away with. I'm thinking if I'm the opposition, I can handle those two. I can handle. I can kick out Lacazette's ankles, and if they're going to play a Bamiang out there, I'm going to just make sure I've got. I drop off quickly and take his run over the top, and he'll get bored. He'll just start knocking it off because we've taken his space away. Right, so that's it. They're done. Right, so the only player that looks dangerous is Pepe because his movements varied. He he can stop you, start you, and he can also go in behind. He can also come off and roll around the corner and create one twos, etc. Smith throw bounding, running downhill going to be a goal scoring threat I'm sure Saka will be fantastic so we need something else in my opinion and maybe I don't know what it is but we need something else and there isn't enough threat against the best teams at the moment I don't think we scare anybody I'm not willing to write off a Bamiyang just yet I just don't you know I've seen enough about how he moves and I'm, every time I write him off the ball's in the top corner but as a genuine feeling, Elliot, I'm worried about how scared we make other people feel with our forwards. I think we've got a couple of forwards with receding hairlines that don't scare anybody. And that's I mean, a worry. That let's is a let's worry. not hair shame anybody. Um, well, I've, got, I've got one. So it's yeah, not okay. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Glass houses and all. Uh, Paul, do you want to respond to that? I think yeah, one briefly. of the things that's tricky is... We have some end product forwards and we have some non-end product forwards. I mean, the funny thing is, Saka is regarded by a lot of people as our best player. Is he filled with end product in the way that maybe Martinelli is, right? Um, you know, Lacazette is seen as one of our our best, our best facilitating striker. Does he have the goals that Aubameyang does? Pepe is an end product player, you know, but Saka is maybe a little more cultured and, and a system fit. Like, it is, it is a case of needing to make sure that we put that end product on the pitch. So do you have a sense of how that all fits together? I think there's also the question of whether another purchase is needed, a Madison at 10 or a, you know, another striker to, to be in the group. I have mentioned before that it is somewhat concerning that we have two 30 plus year old strikers and then some teenagers that have never played the position professionally. Like it's, it's a, and those you know, two it's, strikers, let's be honest, they can't, they can't really play together. I don't think we've tried it. We've unless tried they're it. Unless they're in the front two, the three, five, two Emory system. Unless they're or three, four, unless they're together like that, that's it. You know, Valencia away, that's the best. That's the best we've seen. Uh, cut run off the left, we know that, but that's been rumbled now. That's not going to work again. So this is it, mate. We're we're spending nearly four hundred thousand pound a week on these guys, and they can't play together. That's a definite, and it's it's a worry. It's a worry, but it's early. It's early. Don't. Abamyan can still run, but I promise you, he can still run. And Lacazette can still pivot centre forward. But I'm not sure they're scary enough for us to get where we need to get to. That's my feeling. Paul? 
You, you got someone who scares us? Are you scared? What's scary enough? Tell, tell, tell me what scares people. Scare me. Well, I'm with Clive that Aubameyang can still run, and he shows it, I think, quite clearly, especially early on in this game. It makes sense to me that he's not doing the repeat sprints because he's not getting the payoff um, that he was earlier in his Arsenal career. I mean, we're just... This is a game in which we did create opportunities and opportunities for him. Uh, he might have liked them closer to go, closer to the goal mouth, but he was nicely involved early on, and uh, I think reasonably involved through the game when we had some possession. Um, but I can't look at our front line and not be worried, especially when you think that all the money is in Aubameyang, Lacazette, and Pepe. Um, they, uh, of course, we're going to work Saki in there, but they are the the three we have kind of bet the bank on. And if I'm the opposition, you know, Pepe may get away from yet some stage and get a shot off. And when he gets a shot off, he's really dangerous, but he's also a little too easily shepherded in field or backwards at the moment. And so when you're looking at it, if you've got a really good defense, you're looking at those three, I think you think you can contain them. And that's an issue for us. And we need a different kind of look. We need to be able to bring on somebody like a Tammy Abraham uh, as a substitute, if nothing else, right? Who, who do you bring af on after 70 minutes with Arsenal? Do you What's Olivier Giroud doing? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, Aubameyang's already on the pitch. Lacazette might be on the bench or whatever. Maybe you bring on Pepe because he was... But like that, that change up after 70 minutes, and then who do you start with? You you could certainly see a role for somebody like a Tammy Abraham uh, or a, a, a Martinez, who we're looking at from Italy in terms of what his all round game as a striker. There's not there's just not enough threat there to worry the better teams um, who can control the back, who have the confidence of moving their block across and back. Um, it's just it's too much for somebody like a Smith Rowe to be able to pick that apart and get these guys through. Um, I think we need something. I don't think Aubameyang shot. I don't think he 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 doesn't he he's obviously going to have lost a little something. But then Cavani has lost a lot of something, and he still has his movement. Uh, there's a point at which we won't want to be playing him on the left uh, in terms of the amount of running and work he has to do. But he's still. Um, he may not be making as many sprints as he did, but he's still getting back. He's still covering. He can still do the work. And when you hear somebody like Burgess, who was our fitness guy, talking about Aubameyang, you know, he's rarely seen a guy. He thought he this guy be able to play for years and years because he's rarely seen a guy with that kind of um, uh, horsepower and smoothness and uh, technique of running. I agree with that. So, yeah. I mean, the so great, mecha so great mechanics, mechanics. Yeah. The mechanics the look, yeah. yeah, they yeah. just look great. Yeah. Um, yeah. well, look, I mean, we're not going to get anywhere worrying about whether Obamian is done. I, because we have him, he's on huge money and he's going to start. I, I, I think we shouldn't judge him people, from the left. Should be really no, but but that right, so we Clive, shouldn't can judge I, him till he, till he's had a bunch of opportunities. Cause he's not going to play out of this mini funk until he either gets lucky or we start banging in balls for him and he starts getting more involved. And of course the challenge with being on the left is 
uh, he's got some work to do to get on the end of those chances. So well, we shouldn't charge him from the left. We remember we got we haven't got uh, Martelli and Saka there. One of those two guys, not both of them, would have took minutes in this game. So we chucked him out there on the left, and he's running up and down, getting his fitness. I have got a little worry, but I'm not going to judge him from the left-hand side because hopefully he'll never be there again. It, but he's going to start there. On the, like Against Brentford, it's going to be Lacazette and Aubameyang, right, with Oba on the left, because our left-wingers are Martinelli and Saka, or Pepe if Saka plays right, and neither Martinelli and Saka are likely to start against Brentford, I wouldn't think. So... I mean, isn't it going to be Obama hanging lock? Aren't we sort of... Do you feel, Clive, like... So this is what I wanted to talk about as, as maybe a final point. It's just the sense of stasis. You know, as fans, you got to engage your intellectual brain sometimes, but it is entertainment too. And I can understand people's frustration who look at it and say, my God, against Brentford, our lineup could be the starting lineup from 2019-20. We're just stuck. And a lot of clubs are stuck. I'm not blaming the club for that. I'm not using it as a stick to beat them. But it does feel like there's a little stasis and, and Laka Central and Oba left and Shaq and El Nenny. And, you know, it, it, it is, I can understand why people would have an antsiness about it, a, a, a frustration with that, even if it's not, you know, entirely the club's fault, right? Like they didn't get Thomas Party injured and they didn't make the COVID market happen. But do you have that frustration that we're staring down a little bit of stasis again, at least to start the season? Yeah, it, it's a frustration because we all know we want to see. A, a revolution, and, and we can't do anything. And you know, Pedro just wrote an article just now on the Grove, sort of saying amount of players that have been sold. And I'm looking at it, and basically Villa sold one player, Palace zero, Sheffield United zero, Newcastle zero, West Ham one, Everton one, Spurs two, United zero. The most is Chelsea at four. It, nothing's moving. The the market is just clogged up. So we're sitting there in a situation where we have a new management, new executive, we want to sweep the place clean. We have these Champions League wages we're not in Europe. And we and we know where the money is. We know we want to move people on. There are people sitting there waiting to get paid off, like Kalashnik, for example. And why wouldn't you wait? Because the other lot got paid off, so I want my money too. Do you know what I mean? And so we can't do what we want to do. And it's really frustrating. And we are still in a post-COVID world. We are still in that world and there's nothing there we can do. And it will quicken up. It will quicken up, but it's going to be late. It won't be controlled. And we are going to start the season with a lot of what we've seen before. You know, and so, and that's the way that, if you can tell me a magic solution, I'm all ears. This would give people away. Do you know what I mean? And I'm all ears. And it's going to be it's going to be the biggest game of poker and the transfer deadline day this time is going to be massive. And then we're going to be dictate. We can judge people from there on in. But it's incredibly frustrating that we can't move this thing on. And we're going to judge people based on people that have been there many, many years that maybe should be looking for other opportunities. But why are they going to leave Arsenal on the wages that we pay, the environment that you work in, the size of the club, the facilities that you have? Why are you going to force yourself out to go and earn less money somewhere else? He's just not going to do it, right? So mm. we just have to hold fire and then see what happens. Do you? What do you think realistically we might do with this window? I mean, it's not like it's winding down. There's still one whole month of it. And given that it's been pretty clogged up, a lot can still happen. I think as dominoes start to fall, like if Grealish leaves Villa and... Kane leaves Spurs, and we should just take a, a quick minute to laugh hysterically at Kane going the Robin Van Persie route. Uh, potentially, I'm, I'm hoping he'll do a letter to the fans. 
ideally will completely trash his reputation at Spurs where he, let's remember, achieved nothing. It's important that we emphasize that. Uh, but those moves, you know, may may lubricate the market a little bit. I'd love to throw a lubricate in there. Clive, do you, do you sense any lubrication coming where we may be able to slide into a position to do something? I do think some of our homegrown Yuck. players. Will, <laughs> <laughs> I do think some of our homegrown players will will go. I think they they'll be quite attractive to people. Man and Niles, Nelson, Willock. Eddie's looking quite sharp. You know, he's definitely making sure people can see him. You know, he looked pretty decent yesterday. So I think some of them will go. I think they're easy sells, you know, eventually. Um, the Kalashnik one worries me. You know, I think El Nenny should be, should be, I'd like to, I'd like to move him on. I don't care, he's a nice guy. I need to move him on and get something a bit more action because Lakonga's just putting him to sleep. And that's the truth. He's putting him to sleep, and then eventually takes Shaka out as well. So it's just a moment; it's just a matter of time. So we need something more on action there. So and then he's in trouble with my eyes. And so yeah, and we all know that Lacazette and holds the key. If Lacazette and Eddie go, we can do something up top. We can refresh, but it's nothing's happening. No one wants a hundred eighty grand Lacazette. No one does. It's going to cost us money. It is. It is a worry. He's a worry. We're going to have to be... I don't want to be patient again for another season. I want to see a, a new team, a bit more, you know, vivacious, shall we say. And there are some good signs that we saw yesterday and how we want to play. But there's some real old signs of people with limits that just can't do certain things. And again, I will caveat and say it's just pre-season and people are heavily loaded in training and their legs are dead on the pitch. And um, But it is a worry that we're seeing much of the same stuff we've seen before. Yeah, I, I don't want to shut you out before we go, Paul, on, on, on this topic. So do you, where where are you on the things will get lubricated scale? Uh, yeah, I mean. Bring why, why, would I, why would I open you up to that? Can you just answer that in the most rational, logical <laughs> way possible? Not not take the bait. Like of all the people not to throw a question to in that manner. Just, just, I'm a just, pro. Yeah. I was letting yeah. it go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm out of the smut business now that oh, Tim Stillman's baby is one year old. Happy birthday, nice. Ava. Yeah, happy birthday, Lovely, Ava. lovely, lovely pictures, aren't they? Yeah, lovely. lovely. Yeah. Uh, like, innocent like a lamb. Uh, far be it from me to tarnish that poor child's mind as she listens to the podcast. I do want to emphasize, uh, Paul, that you, um, in, in our back channel, after he, you know, he said she's turning one, having a nice birthday, uh, you said Ava's really the child of the podcast. I feel so proud yeah. how she's turning out. Let's let's ignore the fact that I have an 18-month-old and a five-year-old. <laughs> you know, I mean, I have two children that have been born during the run of this podcast, but that's no, fine. You know, Tim Tim's daughter is the one that matters. That's fine. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Please continue. At least we all agree. So, yeah, going straight past the smoke. What was the bloody question? Oh, yeah. So, are, are things uh, getting this, lubricated? This window. Yeah. Oh, dear. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Um, look, bring your yaks, bring your goats. There's going to be some horse trading right at the end of this window because some stuff's going to move around. Well, then you're not going to get much done if you bring yaks and goats that, uh, if it's horse trading. But, have okay, you seen yeah, our players? Go. Fair enough. Um, so, look, I think we'll get. An attacking midfielder, uh, an Odegaard-esque uh, player, and I think we'll look strongly at a centre-forward position. And uh, I think we got to be considering that right-back position. Yeah. Cedric did get on back, did get on on the left yesterday and looked okay, but he looked dodgy in the the uh, earlier preseasons games. He looked 
kind of a man in his own world. Haunted. So, yeah. <laughs> and the less said about Bellerin, the better, too. I mean, that he, he oh. really looks like he's forgetting how to play football, and it pains me to say that. And maybe mentally he's already left, but sometimes you get pulled back in, so he may need to adjust that. But I, I don't know that we'll do something on the right back side. I, I think we'll do attacking mid, and we got to be seriously looking at the centre-forward piece of it because... Uh, I, if you're the manager, you got to be concerned about where the goals are going to come from. If Aubameyang doesn't pick up and Lacazette, I mean, Lacazette was good for us last season, but it's, it's a relative kind of a good, it's nothing that's going to scare our competition. They're going to look at setting up against Lacazette um, and say, yeah, we can handle that good as he might be. So we got to do something or we're going to have, it's going to feel a lot like last year and we're going to be six-ish. Yeah, and by the way, that that wouldn't be a calamity, but, you know, we But it could like, also be seven. I mean, well, you that, can come that, seventh and that with would that be. squad. <laughs> yeah, and that, and that would be. Well, I think that's probably enough. You know, Clive, you mentioned Ben White. He's going to be good. I mean, it's our first look at him. I really, really don't want to overweight this look at him. I think we can all agree he looked pretty good, right? I mean, I don't want to overpraise yeah. him for sliding in late to recover that ZH situation because ZH should have put it away about 10 seconds earlier. So, yeah, you know. What, what impressed me about him really was his intelligence in in each moment. So football's riddled with loads of decisions and he makes a lot of good ones. He really does. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's really interesting to see quality. And He's a risk-reward guy though, isn't he? Clive, I mean, he's not, he's going to be a different kind of center back to what we're used to. Uh, I think he's super intelligent, very confident, uh, but he's a gambler and he's played for teams that allowed him to gamble. And I, th- I, I don't and I think I, well, supporters need to buckle up a little bit because he's going yeah. to do some things that don't come off. And that's just how we're assuming we play using his strengths and how he's played previously. That's so, just. There's no point in having him unless you let him do his jam, and his jam involves some level of risk. Yeah, yeah. he's 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 a he's a good footballer, and his his risk is based on good decisions. I hope we have a structure in front of him that allows him to be the calm, composed footballer that we purchased, and we don't turn him into some crazy cat because we leave him there alone on an island. I mean, and <laughs> With haunted eyes. <laughs> because he is smooth. He can move. He receives the ball beautifully. He travels with it nicely. When he's running backwards, it's with purpose. His recovery running line angles are perfect. He backwards runs really nice, great separation to move the ball on. He's way better than I thought. Way better than I thought. You know, Starting like, to lubricate. And... <laughs> And I, I'm very, and it just reminds you when when you make good decisions, and you see quality, it's obvious. And there are some quality players in this group, and they're starting to stand up. You know, Tierney, Smith Rowe, Party, Ben White. They look, they're quality. They're real, real top, top quality. Pepe's there, just on the edge, just on the edge of bursting through. It's really refreshing when you see this. So I know we feel a little bit concerned about the the static market, but it can change. It can change in a tweet. You know, me and someone's gone and we move on again. And I hope Arsenal got their targets ready in the background. 
for when the squatters finally leave their bonuses behind and leave. Yeah, because I, I think the thing that you have to remember is accepting fees that are lower than you'd like when the market is depressed means that you're reinvesting that money in a depressed market too, right? If you only get 15 for Shaka, that buys you a war, right? So what is 15 for Shaka and 15 for Willick and 12 for Maitland-Niles and 12 for Enkedia? What is that worth? Well, well that's now how you're it talking work, about yeah. Well, right, but now, but now you're talking about 54 million pounds you just secured to get a player who that one player, Clive, does more for you than those four can, if you see what I'm saying. What you said there is logically perfect. But it doesn't oh, seem to work yeah, that way, does fair. it? No, I, yeah. I, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. We, we don't, we don't not, get the discount when we're buying. Yeah, when we knock Brian's door, they want 50 mil guaranteed, and we give them seven offers, and we end up on the eighth time. But when you knock Leon's door, or Leo, that's the point, right? Like, well, if we can find a solution on the continent, and we have to sell some of our players for less, we know there's a depressed market there, right? Yeah, well, well, you say that, and oh, so I've forgotten his name now, the Brazilian guy in centre midfield that we Br- liked Bruno, last Bruno um, oh, Guimarães. Guimarães. Guimarães, yeah. A player that, beautiful player, beautiful centre mid player, that can do the lot. You know what, a week ago it was 25 to 30 mil, a week later it's 40 mil. <laughs> you know, it's like... That's just he, all us being all us though, right? Yeah, like, <laughs> it, it, it annoys me, it annoys me. This is why it's a game of poker. The real, you'll find out what people have got and how positive they are and how brave they are when there's a three or four days to go and they've got bills to pay. Then we'll find out what the real price is. So we just got to hang in there, mate, for a little while longer. I think the one thing that this summer should be a reminder of is when we say, oh, this deal's cheap, or this guy was a free, look at the wages. Because the wages tell you how stuck you are, right? Because getting a guy for free or $5 million or $10 million, if he doesn't work out, you move him on. But if the wages are wrong, you can't. And that's how you wind up with a Kolasinac who can't be moved and a Willian who can't be moved and a Shaka to some extent who, you know, much better player than those for us, can't be moved. When guys are on 140, 120, 100, and you want to move them, you've made a very small market for who can take those players on. That is something that we're going to have to be mindful of in the way we evaluate moves that we say, ah, that doesn't hurt us. Well, the problem is you can only register so many non-homegrown players, and Scott made this point on the Patreon pod. We are staring squarely in the face another season where we will have first-team players that we cannot register in the Premier League, and that is hugely economically inefficient. So we'll see how we handle it. Uh, That's a long one, so let's knock it on the head there. Tomorrow on Patreon, we're doing a really fun one. We're doing opinions we're too scared to give on the main pod. So it's going to be like the opinions we have, the fears we have, the thoughts we have, but we're too scared to say them on this one. So if, if you want to be over there to hear that, great. We'd love to have you there. Otherwise, we'll keep giving you the good opinions, the ones we're willing to stand behind here. And we just love you for being here. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Paul's on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Thanks, Paul. Uh, Tim will be on tomorrow, so we look forward to that. And happy birthday to Ava. My name is Elliot Smith. You should, can, must block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. We love you. Thank you so much for being here. And we will talk to you after Arsenal 10s come now. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. 
Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.